you're listening to the Pomerado Christian Church Sermon Podcast. Thank you for spending time with us today. If you're a weekly listener, welcome back. If this is your first time, we're so glad you're here and hope you consider subscribing. If you're in your car, on a run, doing things around the house, or working out, and want to connect even further and take next steps with us, visit pomerado.info. Now, enjoy this week's message. Well, welcome everybody. It's so good to see all of you who are here with us in person. Welcome to all of you who are joining us live online. Uh, We recognize that, um, you know, we're all here, but part of the service, whether it's live, in person, live, online, maybe you're listening to the podcast later, Uh, maybe you're watching the sermon throughout the week. Whenever you are joining us, however you're joining us, know that you're prayed for, cared for, and loved uh, before you walked into these doors or before you turned on your screen this morning. So uh, if we've not met yet, my name is JP. I would love an opportunity to connect with you, to meet you after service. Um, and we're just so thankful uh, for this opportunity to come together and to see what God has for each and every one of us this morning. As, we, as Michelle just mentioned in the video, we are in a series called Belief in which we are looking at the Apostles' Creed and looking at some of the beliefs from the very beginning of Christianity. What is it that people believed about God the Father last week? Today, we're going to unpack the idea of Jesus Christ and who he is. And, and I was talking to Steph earlier, and it's like, on the one hand, preaching about Jesus should be the easiest, quickest, most simplest sermon ever. On the other hand, I'm like, how do you fit everything in? So uh, we're going to unpack that together uh, through Acts chapter 2 in a few moments. Um, and then we'll continue on looking at the Holy Spirit, looking at the role of the church, uh, and looking at everlasting life over the next several weeks. And so as we get ready to see what God has for us through our sermon this morning, I would ask that we all would take a moment to, to bow our heads, to have a moment of prayer, Maybe to recognize that as we come in, maybe we've got lists of things to do after church today. Maybe we have people to see, things that need to get done before the weekend. Maybe we're coming in with uh, some burden, some stress, some anxiety. Maybe we're just hoping for a word and for God to speak to us. May we, may we quiet ourselves down so that not my voice would be heard, but God's voice would be heard clearly to each and every one of us. Because I believe that each person who hears my voice, whether in person or watching online, is deeply loved by God, that Jesus came, lived a perfect life, died a horrible death, and was raised to new life so all of us could experience that life eternal, and that the Holy Spirit wants to draw each and every one of us closer to him this morning. So let's take a moment to maybe let go of some of the things that are burdening us, the mind or the thoughts that are racing, and let's be still and hear what God has for us this morning. Will you join me in a moment of prayer? Father, I thank you for each person who hears my voice right now. God, I thank you that each person who hears my voice is someone that you love so much, that you formed and you created, you shaped them with their personality and their gifts and their abilities and all the ways that you know us so well. You created us, you breathed life into us, God. I thank you that you sent Jesus to die on the cross for each and every person who hears my voice. And Lord, I pray that we would receive that gift and live in the hope of eternal life through Jesus. And Holy Spirit, I pray that we would feel your presence, that each person who is part of our service today would have a moment, whether it was through songs we just sang, the scripture we're about to uh, enter into, whether it's a conversation or relationship that's built after service, whatever it is, may you speak to your people the only way that, or the way that only you can. 
I pray that I would decrease, that you would increase, that you would speak again in a personal, powerful, impactful way to each and every one of us. We love you, Lord, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As I mentioned, we're going to be in Acts chapter 2, and as we unpack today's sermon, I grew up, and uh, growing up, I grew up in the Catholic Church, and uh, my name was John Paul, and so growing up in the Catholic Church with the name John Paul, when the Pope was named John Paul, my name got a lot of shout-outs during Mass, um, and so I was surrounded, people, I'd be sitting in, the, in Catholic school, and people would say, let me pray for John Paul, our Pope, and everyone would look at me, and I'm like, it's not me, kiss my ring, you know, so it's just very... That's not true. None of that's accurate. Um, but they did look, and I'm like, oh, that's not me. But so I grew up hearing a lot of stories about Jesus. I, I, I remember one of my, you had to pick, what was your favorite story, or what is it that you really enjoyed? And I loved the story of when he healed Jairus' daughter. I don't know why. I just thought that that was just a great story that Jairus, who his daughter had died, and and on the way, when Jesus was going to heal her, a woman came who had been bleeding for 12 years. And, and at the hem of, touching the hem of his robe, she was healed. He recognized power had left him. And then while he's going on the route to Jairus' house, he f- receives word that she passed away. And he's like, no, she's just asleep. And then he comes and he meets her and he says, you know, little girl, wake up. And then they get to celebrate And I just loved that story. And so I remember hearing stories about Jesus, and I knew Jesus was a good teacher. I knew that um, he was a son of God. But it wasn't until I was 19 years old that I started to understand that Jesus, if Jesus is who he says he is, then that changes everything about how we live. That if Jesus is Lord, if he is the Messiah, if he is the Son of God, if he did come to lay down his life so that we could have eternal life, then I can't hear the gospel and who he is and stay the exact same if I want to live with him and for him and in him. And so it wasn't until September 20th, 2003, when I gave my life to the Lord. And Jesus moved from being a, a man who I knew stories about and loved his gospel teachings until he became the Messiah, the Lord, the Christ in my life, the chosen one. And so for many of us, maybe we've heard stories about Jesus. And whether, wherever you are on your journey with God, it's so interesting how when you could talk to somebody, you could say, God bless you. And that usually, and not just when they sneeze, but like just in general. And it's like, that's usually received fine, right? But when you say the name Jesus... A name that was a name that included people who were far from God, that welcomed people that would have been pushed away. When you see or when you hear the name Jesus, it so often creates this line of division. And a lot of that is because Jesus says a lot of incredible things that we love. And then he says things that are incredible, but they're hard. Like, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so then if we take him at his word, all of a sudden we're realizing if Jesus is who he says he is, then we can't stay the same. And that can make things hard for people, make things hard for us. So today what we're going to do is we're going to unpack looking at Acts chapter 2, looking at Peter's sermon at Pentecost. We've revisited Acts chapter 2 in earlier sermon series, but we focused on the last several verses. We're going to unpack Peter's sermon to think, what was it that Peter and the apostles said about Jesus from the very beginning, from, you know, 50 days after his death, what was it that they were preaching? 
Now, in order to give the context of where we are in our series, I want to briefly read the Apostles' Creed to you. And as this is a historical creed that came together of people writing and sharing what the, what the um, early beliefs were of Christianity. And so I want to read them to you. There's a few words that I want to unpack, uh, and we'll look into those over the next several weeks. But here's what it says. It says, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. We spent our time last week talking about God the Father. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. We're going to unpack that specific line later on in this message today. The third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Catholic Church, to be very clear, I grew up Catholic, and so there's the idea of Catholic, the word just means the universal church, so originally the idea was just the church, so it's not proclaiming Catholic church versus Protestant church, it's saying, I believe in the the Christian church, in the church overall, and so we'll unpack that more in a few weeks as well, but I want to clarify that, so the Holy Catholic Universal Christian Church The communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. And so now what I want to do is, as you notice, God the Father has about one sentence, two sentences up top. Then they have a whole list of things here. Holy Spirit, church, saints, forgiveness, resurrection, and life everlasting. But the bulk of this belief statement from back in the mid-second century is focused on who Jesus is. Why? Because that's the dividing line. He is the one that if he is who he says he is, it changes everything. And if he's not, as C.S. Lewis says, if he's not who he says he is, then he's either a liar or a lunatic. But instead, we believe he's Lord. And so what I'm going to look at is, uh, go to the next slide. We're going to have a list of Peter's sermon at Pentecost. What are some of the things that we learn about Jesus from the very beginning that impact how we follow him, who he is, and what that means for our lives? So as we're going to start in Acts chapter 2 in verse 18. Now, excuse me, 22, excuse me. But as we enter into this early this morning, the disciples were in the upper room, and then there's the Holy Spirit came upon them. They go out into Jerusalem and they're preaching the good news and the gospel and they're preaching about who Jesus is. And people who are Jewish people who came all over the world for Pentecost or all over the world at that season, they were all hearing about the gospel in their native tongue. People started to say, oh, these men must be drunk. It's like, and Peter, I love it, he says, um, Verse 15, it's not on the screen, but these people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. Like he's just very, like people aren't drunk. God is working and the spirit is being poured out. So then he quotes Joel for verses 17 through 21 about what it's going to look like when the Holy Spirit comes and when the gospel is being proclaimed. Now I want to spend the majority of our time in verse 22 and from on. Because the first thing we learn is that Jesus lived an impactful life. He lived a life that impacted many people, not just then, but forever as well. He starts off, Peter says, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. We stop here because there's a couple of points I want to highlight. First, Jesus of Nazareth was a real person. He's not a myth. He's not a legend. 
It's not a story that moralists came up with in order to teach people to be good and not to do bad things. He was a historical person who lived in a real place in Nazareth, and he came at a real time during the reign of Pontius Pilate, and he came to a specific place at a specific time that no one disputes that he was real. Any historical, anyone who's looked into the history of Jesus knows that he was a real person. He was a real man. And so he wasn't just any man, though. He was a man who was accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs. He was one who spoke with authority. He was one that what was affirming the words, that the words were from God the Father, was the fact that miracles, wonders, and signs would come with his preaching. So he would preach about something, and then he would heal. There would be miracles that revealed this is God is saying, yes, this is my chosen one. This is the one I've come to, or I've sent to come to you. And it's important for us to realize this is rooted in history. I recently read a book uh, called Who Is This Man by John Orberg. If you have not read it, um, it does a great job of looking at the impact of Jesus throughout all of history. And it unpacks things like the fact that hospitals came originally from people caring for the sick. People didn't care for the sick before Jesus came because the idea was that they were weak, that babies would be discarded if they were um, unwanted or if they had any deformities, they would just be cast aside. So caring for the ones who were the least of these came from Jesus. The idea of humility being a positive virtue came from the example of Jesus. Before that, it was about might and it was about power. And Jesus showed us the beauty that true power and true might lays down his life for others. The idea that languages came out of the, the, so much written language came because people were translating the Bible throughout generations. To recognize that writing and literature and our view of leadership and hospitals, the fact that anyone in the world right now looks at the date and it's May 1st, 2022, and we base our calendar system off of Jesus. Jesus, his life has permeated so much that we cannot deny that he was real and that he had an impact far beyond we could even imagine. John Orberg, in a chapter about art and chapter about Jesus' impact, he says this. He says, Jesus had no place to lay his head yet became the primary shaper of architecture. We don't know what Jesus looked like, yet he became the most recognizable figure in the world. He had no form, no comeliness, no beauty that we should desire him, yet he became the subject of more paintings and sculptures than anyone else. He never wrote a book, but he became the most written about person ever and the greatest inspiration for global linguistic development. He is associated with only one unknown song that he sang during the Passover, but, it is the subject of, but he is the subject of more songs and music than any other human being. He died alone, yet people die for him still. The impact that Jesus had, both in that time and in that place, and then the reverberations of his impact throughout history, cannot be denied. And we see that Jesus said, or Peter, excuse me, in a sermon said, fellow Israelites, Jesus, man, this man of Nazareth, he was accredited to you for miracles, signs, wonders. He was accredited by God. God gave, vouched for him by showing these things. The next thing we see in the next verse is that not only did he live an important life, but he died a horrible death. Verse 23. 
This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. There's a line that stands out. I didn't highlight it in this case, but the fact that he was handed over by God's deliberate plan. The fact that we've shared before that the story of the gospel starts with creation being good, that God loves us. And then it falls into the point of we blew it. We all have sin in our lives. We all do the things we know we shouldn't do. We all don't do the things we know we should. And that fall, that sin has separated us from a good, holy God. But out of his holiness and his love, he sent Jesus to pay the price for us. That he bridged the gap that we could not bridge. He made a way where there was no way. And because he did that, the offer of eternal life is here for all of us. But the fourth step is we must receive him. We can't just know it. He can't just be someone that we like his gospel stories like I did growing up. He has to be someone that if he is who he says he is, and he's given us what he's given us, it changes everything. So... It's through God's plan. He knew the only way for God the Father to have right relationship with all of us as his kids is for Jesus to yeah, live an impactful, a perfect, sinless life and then die a horrible death, a death where all the sins of the world are weighed upon his shoulders and that he paid the price so that our check could be cleared. But then he put him to death by nailing him on the cross, which is one of the most vicious and um, devastating modes of execution. And I think we've become so used to the cross, and, and John Orberg talks about this, we've heard this idea before, that could you imagine, that, I mean, this was a mode of, of execution. Could you imagine that if instead of a cross back here, we had like, like a guillotine back here that we would wear around our necks all the time, which a guillotine wearing around the necks, ironic, I get it, just go with me for a second. <laughs> But imagine like that we wore an electric chair around, or imagine we wore a shot for lethal injection. I mean, think about this. We wear proudly a cross, not because we're celebrating that that was a mode of execution, because we're celebrating that Jesus, who knew no sin, went upon that cross, and he became sin so that you and I, so that you and I could have eternal life. So he lived an important life. The impact reverberates throughout time. He died a horrible death, being nailed on the cross, innocent, without blemish. And he paid that price. But that's not all he did. He also, we also see from Peter's sermon that God raised him from the dead. That he was truly dead, and he also truly got raised. Verse 24. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. I just love the way that's written. It was impossible for death to hold him down. Death, the thing that many of us may fear, it's the, it's the great unknown. We don't know what it's going to be like. We don't know how we're going to die. We don't know when. We don't know any of these things. But death, that may cause us great fear, through Jesus' death, can give us great peace. The fact that we know that we would have eternity with God the Father through Jesus Christ. And again, we're going to hit on that in a, in a few more weeks as we unpack that a little bit more. 
But what I want to do is unpack, uh, go to the next slide for me for a second. What I want to do is unpack this idea that we read in the Apostles' Creed because the verbiage of it can be a little unclear and it can create confusion. And what I want to do is try to give some um, context to it and some clarification. So in this phrase... The end of it, he suffered under Pontius Pilate. Again, he was a real man who lived a real life during a real time that could be tracked in history. So Pontius Pilate was a real leader who we could track and see where he was when he served. Under Pontius Pilate, Jesus was crucified, died, and was buried, and he descended to hell. Now that is something that there's some confusion there, and there's different ways of looking at that. And so what I want to unpack for a moment here is that there are different words um, there's an idea in the Hebrew that's similar to the idea in the Greek of the realm of the dead, of the place where the dead dwell. Now, in the Hebrew, we see it as Sheol. And so if you look inside um, the translation of the Old Testament, you might see that, he goes, that someone goes down to Sheol or it might just say the grave. And then there's a similar idea in the Hebrew, or excuse me, in the Greek mindset of Hades. Again, it's the place where it is the, the land of the dead. Now, even within the idea of the realm of the dead, there were different concepts, um, especially in uh, the Hebrew idea, where there was this verbiage of Abraham's bosom, which comes from Luke when we see that uh, there was a rich man and Lazarus. It's a parable that Jesus tells. The, the rich man disregarded and, and, was, and didn't care for uh, this man named Lazarus. Lazarus goes, and when he dies, he gets to lay up against Abraham's bosom. In other words, he's close to the patriarch in the Hebrew mindset. And then there's the rich man is in the place of the dead. He's separated, and he could see that there's rejoicing and presence with God's people, but he's on the outside looking in. All of that would still be the idea. So there's paradise in Abraham's bosom, but it's all encapsulated under the idea of Hades, the place of the dead, the realm of those who have died. Now, the contrast is that there's a word called Gehenna in the Greek, and it comes from the word Hinnom, which comes from the Hebrew, and that's how we would translate the word hell. If you see hell in the Bible, it's often tr the word Gehenna. And so that is where the weeping and the gnashing of teeth are. That is where when we picture hell, we see it that way. Why am I taking a minute and a half, two minutes to unpack this? Because when this word here in the original Greek, it says he descended to hell. What it's saying is not that he descended to Gehenna. It said he descended to Hades. In other words, he descended to the realm of the dead. Now that can mean that he simply means that he died, that he actually died. And that because there was paradise in Abraham that he was able to, or Abraham's bosom, that he was able to have, uh, to go be with the father, but that he came back for us. So it just means he died. There's other passages. There's a passage in 1 Peter that talks about, well, is it, is it more like he went and he proclaimed victory to those who were in Hades? He was able to share that death has been conquered. I've, I've won. And so... We unpack that because it doesn't say that he was like down in hell with Satan hanging. Like that's not what it was. He wasn't in Gehenna. He was in Hades. He was actually died. He was in the realm of the dead. But that's not where he stayed. That's not where he stayed. So let's continue on. Jesus fulfills the messianic prophecy. And so what I want to do is jump down 
Uh, I'm actually going to read before I go in there. I'm going to start in verse 25, and I want to unpack that, that conversation to Hades real quick, a little bit more. 25 says, David said about Jesus, I saw the Lord always before me because he's at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not abandon me to Hades. So it's specifically talking about this concept here, not Gehenna, Hades. You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Verse 29, fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. And then this is where I want to jump in. That number four talks about how Jesus fulfilled these messianic prophecies. That there was, there were several prophecies, 300 prophecies throughout the Old Testament. And here's what verse 30 continues to say about David, about prophecy, about Jesus fulfilling it, and about the Messiah. Verse 30 said, but he, David, was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to Hades, the realm of the dead. He was not stuck there, nor did his body see decay. So we unpack this because it sh- highlights the fact Peter, or David knew that one of his descendants from the tribe of Judah, from David's line, would be on the throne eventually. And it wasn't just an earthly king. He knew that there was going to be a chosen one that was going to reign. That chosen one would die, but he would not be abandoned to Hades. He would not be abandoned to Sheol. He would not be abandoned to the realm of the dead. He would be raised up. His body would not see decay. He would come and be raised back fully to life. And that passage from death to life is what allows us to have eternal life through Jesus. But I want to unpack a little bit here, if if you'll give me a few minutes, to look at just a few of the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled that we find in the Old Testament, or if you, if you have uh, Jewish friends, it's the Hebrew scriptures, it's the Tanakh, so you can use some of that verbiage there. These are just eight. These are just eight of the prophecies that we see about the Messiah. The time of his birth, we know when, when he would come, that he would be born in Bethlehem, that he would be born of a virgin, that he would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver, that he would be mocked, that he would be crucified, he would be pierced, and that he would be with the wicked, but he would be buried with the rich. So he would die with the wicked, and his tomb was from Joseph of Arimathea, who was very well off and was able to purchase that. And then he ended up leaving that tomb anyways. But that's just eight different prophecies from the Old Testament. Now, there's a mathematics, and, uh, a mathematics and astronomy professor, Peter Stone, who uh, worked up at Pasadena Community College, and he, was, um, he wrote a book about this. And his, this quotation often comes from uh, Evidence That Demands a Verdict by Josh McDowell. He says, the chances of just eight prophecies like that being fulfilled by one person is one times 10 to the 17th power. So it's one with 17 zeros after it. That's a lot. And so to illustrate it, he says this. He says, if you were to take a silver dollar and you were to put a mark on it, just write a little mark on it, and then you would go to the state of Texas and you would line up or you would stack up the state of Texas, the entire area of it, up to two feet. So up to the top part of this piece of tape here. 
and you would put it all over Texas and you'd mark one silver dollar. Silver dollars are stacked two feet high all across Texas. It would be like the odds of one man fulfilling those eight prophecies would be like a man who was blindfolded, dropped in the middle of Texas, and at the very first guess, the very first time he touched any silver dollar would be the one that you marked. It could be on the, you know, the very bottom one in Austin, or it could be in Dallas, or it could be, I don't know, Texas is very big. So let's just say it could be anywhere, but the odds would be that someone would find that marked silver dollar on the first guess, two feet high, all across Texas. That's eight prophecies. He continues on. He says that if you were to add just eight more prophecies that were listed there, it would go up to one times 10 to the 45th power. One with 45 zeros afterwards. And he illustrates it this way. If you were to take silver dollars and you were to take a mark and you were to combine them into a ball, a sphere, and you were to put the center of that sphere where the sun is, the ball would be so big that it would extend all the way out to Neptune's orbit. So picture where the sun is to Neptune, fully a full sphere of silver dollars, and sending someone somehow to be able to, with a blindfold, go out to the middle of space, and pick the exact right one at the, that was marked. That's for 16 prophecies. There were hundreds. Friends, this is, I'm not going to keep going because otherwise we'll just be doing silver dollars forever. But it's recognizing this. Jesus fulfilling those prophecies is not happenstance. It's not luck. It's not that he just happened to fulfill these things. This is part of God's deliberate plan. And that's part of why when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he knew that God's deliberate plan meant that he was going to have to suffer and be crucified. When he knew, and he knew the gravity of that, he said, Lord, if there's any way you could take this cup, yet not my will, your will be done. Because he knew all the things that he would be fulfilling, including a horrible death. And yes, knowing he'd be raised to life, but just because you know there's going to be a happy ending doesn't mean there's not pain in the midst of the difficult part of your life. So he fulfilled these prophecies. Peter, he talks about that this is the Messiah. He's the chosen one. And so to be extra clear, the word Messiah and the word Christ are the same idea. Messiah in Hebrew is the chosen one. Christ, or the anointed one, Christ in Greek is the anointed one, the chosen one. So we're, we're using the terms interchangeably here because they have the same meaning. But Jesus, he f- lived an impactful life, one that still reverberates throughout history. He died a horrible death by being nailed on the cross for your sins and for mine. He was raised to new life, that God raised him up, that he would not be held back by death. He would not remain in Hades or the land of the dead, that he would come back and he would see new life. And then lastly, that he would be able to um, fulfill all those prophecies. But then I want to continue on verse 32. So God has raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses to it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. Remember, they're seeing 
people prophesying. They're hearing their own language being shared about the gospel of Jesus Christ. So he's saying, listen, what you see and hear, this is why, because the Holy Spirit has poured out. Verse 34, for David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Peter unpacks in a far shorter sermon than I've ever preached. He unpacks the life, the death, the resurrection, the prophecies promised and fulfilled, and the truth that Jesus is the one true Messiah. He's the chosen one. He's the Lord. He's in charge of it all. He reigns. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come again to judge the living and the dead. He alone is the one that all of creation is at his feet, and yet he loved his people so much that he washed the feet of his creatures. He washed the feet of his loved ones, his church, his disciples. See, Christ, if he is who he says he is, if he is Lord, if he is Messiah, if he did fulfill all those prophecies, if he did lay down his life for me, if I do have to receive him, then everything changes when we meet Christ face to face. We cannot stay the same. It cannot be a story we hear every Sunday morning and let go in one ear and out the other. It cannot be a story that we learn about when we're growing up and forget about as we grow old. It cannot be a story that we feel really confident about Sunday for an hour on a Sunday morning and then live the other 167 hours of our week with complete disregard. It changes. He changes everything. He's the Christ. He's the Lord. He's the Messiah. And he's the king of kings. So what I want to share, instead of me wanting to continue with this last part, I want to share with you uh, a video by Dr. S.M. Lockridge. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a part of a sermon that explains in, in more poetic beauty and passion and, um, and uh, just incredibly well put, who is Jesus? What does it look like that he's Lord, Messiah, Christ, and ultimately king of the world. And if you let him, if you invite him, he could be your king too, and you live for him. Let's watch this video together. The Bible says my king is the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder do you know him? My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? 
He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of truth He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient Savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captive. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he purifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's the key to knowledge. He's a well-trained of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. And his yoke is easy. And his burden is lighter. He could put it far more wonderfully than I could. But here's the thing. I wonder. I mean, we, we, we can talk through other pieces of theology. We could talk about other things. But I wonder the crux of the matter, literally the word crux, where we get the word cross. The crux of our lives is, do you know Jesus? Is he someone that's gone one ear and out the other? Is he a teacher that you liked the stories? Is he someone that has changed your life. Because if he is who he says he is, and he did what he says he's done, and he's fulfilled what he came to fulfill, and he welcomes all who come to him, do you know him? Have you received that gift of eternal life? If you have already, we take an opportunity of communion in just a couple moments, and we'll remember his sacrifice. And if you haven't, Let it be today that he becomes king of your life. He's Lord over all. He's the Messiah. He's the Christ. He's the chosen one. He's the Savior. He's the Son of God who laid down his life for you and for me. Do you know him? And if you don't, 
Would you welcome him in? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for each person who is here, God, and as we started off our message, slowing down to hear and maybe let distractions and anxieties and thoughts uh, be removed from our hearts and our minds, I pray, Lord, that you so clearly revealed and showed us who Jesus is, that many of us, it's a reminder, we hear Dr. Lockridge listing those things out, and it's encouraging, it's inspiring, it's amazing, and it's something that affirms and reminds us of just how big and how marvelous and how mighty and loving you are, Jesus. And yet for others of us, maybe we aren't sure about where we are with you yet, but we start to hear about prophecies that have been fulfilled and the odds of that happening outside of you, Jesus. We hear about how much death could not hold you back and the fact that we have eternal life offered to us as you, Jesus, are alone, the way, the truth, and the life. I pray, God, that if there are people who are in this room or listening later or listening live, that they would, they would wrestle with if they know you. And if they don't, would you meet them here, Holy Spirit, and would you call them and beckon them to relationship with Jesus? So, Lord, we thank you, Jesus, that you are unparalleled. Your life is matchless. Your love is limitless. And all we can do is say thank you, and we could cry out to give us more of you so that we could become more like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We want to be a church where people are changed by God to change the world. If you want to partner with us in this way, you can start by doing these two things. The first, if you haven't subscribed to this podcast, you can do that by hitting the subscribe button wherever you're listening so you can stay connected with us and we can broaden our reach. And the second, and this might be the most important thing you do, share this message with someone you know. And as always, remember you are prayed for, cared for, and loved. See you next time.